Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we are just in awe of your goodness, of your grace, of your mercy, of your love. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness to each of us this past year in 2009. And God, we anticipate you to continue to be faithful and good and show yourself powerful on behalf of your people and throughout this world in 2010. And Jesus, we desire for you to be glorified and magnified in and through our lives. And God, we want to be a people on mission and on fire for your glory and for your purposes. And so God, prepare our hearts this morning, this day, this new year, that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word, that Holy Spirit of God, you would teach us, correct us if needed, illuminate your word in our hearts, and most importantly as your people, help us to respond. Help us to be a willing people, an obedient people, a joyful people. And God, I just declare my dependency upon you. I recognize apart from your Holy Spirit, I can do nothing. And so I ask, Holy Spirit of God, you would grace me with your presence and speak powerfully through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm chapter 34. We're going to be reading verses... 1 through 8, verses 1 through 8. Verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him, and delivers them. Verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. As you know, this is the beginning of a new year, and for many of us, this is great news depending on how last year went for us, because it's a brand new start, a new beginning, a clean slate. And spiritually speaking, it's my hope that we as God's people will endeavor to enjoy Jesus in 2010, that we as God's people would endeavor to enjoy Jesus in 2010. How can we know God or experience God more this year than last year? The Westminster Catechism says, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Or it could be said this way, the purpose of man is to glorify God by simply enjoying God. John Piper says something similar. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in and through our lives when we are most satisfied in Him and in Him alone. And this is why I entitled today's message, Taste and See. 
Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Many of us know that the Lord is good, but how many of us are tasting of the Lord's goodness daily? There is nothing in this world that compares to enjoying the presence of God and finding pleasure in Him alone. No purpose, no pursuit, no pleasure compares to knowing and enjoying God. And it's my hope and desire to communicate today what it means to simply enjoy Jesus by daily drawing near to Him. As the Bible says, that if we draw near to God, God will draw near to us. And God is not a liar. God is truth, and He's faithful to His Word. So if we would simply draw near to God, God will draw near to us. As a way of reminder, the Word of God commands us. We are commanded by God to taste and see that the Lord is good, which simply means to find pleasure and delight in God. As it says in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 32, 11 says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy. Philippians 4, 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And the psalmist sought to do just this, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God, for the living God. My soul thirsts for thee, my flesh yearns for thee, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And the idea of thirsting has its satisfying counterpart when the psalmist says, they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. That God satisfies. That when we are thirsty, whether spiritually speaking or thirsting and longing for the living God, God promises to satisfy through the rivers of His pleasures. That's radical to think about. That when we seek the Lord, when we draw near God, He will satisfy us by the rivers of His pleasures. And I have found personally that the goodness of God, the very foundation of worship, is not a thing you pay your respects to out of some kind of disinterested reverence or some sort of religious duty. No, that's not how we are called to worship the living God as Christians. We're not called to a religious duty or some disinterested reverence. No, it's something to be enjoyed as the psalmist proclaims, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How sweet are thy words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The Lord tastes sweeter than honey. Whether you like honey or not, whatever you enjoy, the Lord is sweeter. He's more precious. He's good. And when we experience him, we will see that he tastes good. As C.S. Lewis says, God in the Psalms is the all-satisfying object. God, the living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, is the all-satisfying object. He'll satisfy our longings. 
He'll satisfy our desires. He'll satisfy our thirst if we would just come unto Him and enjoy His presence. His, his people adore Him unashamedly for He is the exceeding joy that we will find in Him. God is our joy. He is our exceeding joy. And He is the source of complete and unending pleasure. In Thy presence is fullness of joy. In Thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. God is our joy. And we will find pleasure in Him. And so the question I ask this morning is, what does it mean to seek God, to draw near to God, to be devoted to God, to delight in God, to find joy and pleasure in the presence of God, to be satisfied in God, to taste and see God? Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Psalm 119.38 says, establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. Psalm 1.2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 16.11 says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 63, 5 says, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. How do we practically and experientially taste and see the Lord? We're going to explore three ways this morning. Seeking, waiting, and meditating. Again, how do we practically and experientially taste and see the Lord? Seeking, waiting, and meditating. First, seeking. What does it mean to seek the Lord? Seeking the Lord means seeking His presence. And presence is a common translation of the Hebrew word face. Literally, we are to seek his face. To be before his face is to be in his presence. Just as Moses sought the face of God, he came into the very presence of God. And God said, this is holy ground. And when we're in the presence of God, we sense his holiness. We sense his love. We sense his mercy. We sense his goodness. And in some ways, we say, woe is me, a sinner. And we fall before the grace and goodness of God in worship as Moses did. The psalmist said in Psalm 27, 8, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. When God came to David and said, seek my face, David makes this bold declaration and he says, your face, Lord, I will seek. It's a bold declaration, and in a sense, David puts a stake in the ground and says, I'm going to seek you. And my encouragement, my exhortation to us this morning is that we, like David, would make that same bold declaration in 2010, that we would say, God, I'm going to seek your face in 2010. I will seek you with all my heart, 
with all my soul, with all my strength, and with all my mind. God calls us to enjoy a continual awareness of His supreme greatness and beauty and worth. A continual awareness, a daily awareness of God's beauty, of God's greatness, of God's worth. Not just once a week on Sunday morning. Yeah, I praise God that we can gather together corporately and be in the presence of God and worship Him in spirit and in truth. But this isn't the only day of the week to meet with Almighty God. We can meet with Him daily, anytime, anywhere, at school, at work, before we go to work, before we go to school, out surfing, whatever your hobbies are, that we can continue, we can continue to have an awareness of God and in His greatness. And this happens through seeking, a continual seeking, that we are called to be proactive in our seeking of God, in our enjoying of God. Isn't that radical to think about? Even though God is great and He's mighty and He's powerful and He's holy and He's righteous, He calls us to enjoy Him, to simply just enjoy His presence. But what does it mean practically? Both the Old and the New Testament say it is a setting of the mind and heart on God. It's a setting of the mind and heart on God. It is the conscious fixing or focusing of our mind's attention and our heart's affection on God. That we are called daily and purposely to fix and focus our mind's attention and our heart's affections on God. Christianity is not just an intellectual faith. We are called to have emotions behind our faith, great affections behind our faith, just as we have great affections for those whom we love, whether our children or our spouses or certain things that we like, whether it's basketball, the Lakers, whatever it is, we have affections, right? God created us with affections. And how much greater should our affections be for the living God who saved us out of hell, out of darkness, and brought us into his glorious light? How much more should we have great, joyful affections for God? Amen? First Chronicles twenty-two nineteen says, Now set your mind and heart to seek the Lord your God. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We are called to think about things that are above. The heavenly realms. I mean, you read Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5 and you get a glimpse into the heavenly realms where there's cherubim and seraphim. They're worshiping God. They're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of Almighty who was and is and is to come. We're called to think about eternity, to think about the things of eternity, not just the material world. And yet that's a challenge for us. Because we're surrounded daily by culture and materialism and so many things that grab for our attention. And yet, we're called to think about 
things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And this, this setting of the mind is the opposite of mental coasting. Christianity in America, for most Christians, is a haphazard, casual approach to the living God. And that shouldn't be. Jesus isn't our homeboy. Jesus isn't just our bro. Yeah, Jesus said he's our friend. He's a friend of sinners, but he's not just some homeboy, and he's not just some bro that we haphazardly approach in whatever casual way. No, God is God, and God is to be revered, and God is to be enjoyed. It is a conscious choice to direct our mind and our heart toward God. Well, how do we make a conscious choice to direct our mind and heart toward God? Three ways. First, the heavens are telling the glory of God. Creation. Creation declares the glory of God. Amen? I mean, you walk outside, especially living here in Ventura, it's beautiful. You got these mountains to our right. You have the ocean to our left, the channel islands out there. Recently, we've had rain at times, and it snows up on the mountains. And creation is crying out and declaring the glory of God. How can't you be in awe of God when you look at creation? Whether you're out surfing, and then you look up at these snow-capped mountains, and then you look at these perfect waves coming in, and then you look at the Channel Islands, hopefully that causes you to worship. You don't have to be a surfer to worship God. You go outside at night on a clear day. Amen. Praise God. Yeah, you don't need to be a surfer to worship God. Let's get everything theologically correct this morning. God created all of us to worship Him in spirit and truth. But the point is, many of us, I encourage, encourage us to just take time and admire God's creation because creation declares the attributes of God. When you look up at the sky and you see beautiful stars in the Milky Way, creation is crying out in a sense. It's declaring the attributes of God. It's declaring God is powerful, God is living, God is love, God is compassionate, God is gracious, God is, he has an intellect, he's a designer. I mean, you can't but help be in awe and blown away by creation. So we can seek God through that. Secondly, he reveals himself in his word. The word of God, as Pastor Britt challenged us in 2010, that we be purposeful in getting in the word of God. However, however we're going to do that, whether we read through the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, whether like Pastor Britt going through the Psalms, going through the Proverbs and the Gospels, God reveals himself in the inherent, inspired, living word of God. God reveals his character. He reveals his will. He reveals his purposes. As we get in the scriptures and we ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate or bring to light the truth of God in our minds, in our hearts, God speaks, God corrects, God rebukes, God encourages, God teaches us, God reveals himself in the word of God. 
so we can seek Him through the Word of God. Thirdly, He shows Himself to us in the evidences of grace in other people. All of us know people that at one time were not Christians. And we have the privilege to witness God in His sovereign grace and His sovereign goodness and His sovereign love reach out to that person, save that person, transform that person, and we were blown away. It could have been us. Probably was us. But I actually have a brother-in-law that was on the streets for years as a speed addict. And God, in His mercy and in His grace and His love, reached out to my brother-in-law and He set him free. He saved him. He transformed him. He is not the same person anymore. And when I see his life, I know there is a God, a God who saves and a God who changes lives. And so we see God by evidences of his grace in other people. And yet we also experience God's grace when other Christians or other people extend grace to us, right? There's a lot of times we need grace and God chooses to use people to bring grace in our lives, to maybe give us a gift we don't deserve, and then we're like blown away like, why would you give me such a gift? I don't deserve that by grace. And so we can seek God through that. Creation, the Word of God, and evidences of grace are three ways that we can direct our mind and our heart toward God. Seeking is the conscious effort to get through the natural means to God Himself. We are made of flesh. And so at times we're tired, or lazy, or we're distracted, or we're tempted. And there's this natural means ourselves that we got to push through to get to God. For example, we all probably purpose this year to get up early in the morning. My alarm's going to go off. I'm going to seek God. But as soon as that alarm goes off, for many of us, our flesh is dying. I need 30 more minutes of sleep. I cannot get up. We have to push ourselves through the natural means. Well, it might just be like throwing ourselves out of bed, getting in a cold shower really quick. I don't know what it is, but we have to push ourselves through the natural means to God himself, to constantly set our minds toward God in all our experiences to direct our minds and hearts towards Him through the means of His revelation. Just as I said earlier that God's revealed Himself, of course, through the Word of God. He's revealed Himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. He reveals Himself through creation. And we need to acknowledge God through those experiences. I mean, back to surfing. I know not everyone surfs, but that's all right. My point is... You get a good wave or you, you, know, you enjoy the opportunity to go surfing. I should make a conscious and deliberate choice to thank God, to worship God. You take your kids to the park and you just see them laughing and smiling. Take the time to acknowledge God's grace, God's gift in those children. Whatever your experience, are, experience is, whether through the Word of God, through creation, through Jesus manifesting himself through the Gospels, take the time to acknowledge God, to draw near to God, to worship God. This is what seeking God means. 
The great promise to those who seek the Lord is that I will be found. God will be found. If you seek Him, He will be found by you, as it says in 1 Chronicles 28.9, that if you seek the Lord, God will be found. He will meet with you. He will speak to you. He will comfort you. He will give you His peace. You'll experience the very presence of God. And when He is found, there is great reward. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Hebrews eleven six 6, that God rewards those who seek Him. How does He reward us? God Himself is our great reward. He rewards us with Himself. He rewards us with His presence, with His love, with His mercy, with His grace, that God is our great reward. I hope you believe that. I hope you ex have experienced that. Because if we have everything in the world and we have not God, we have nothing. But if we have nothing, but we have God, we have everything. We have everything. It doesn't, we do. We, we have to believe that. If this whole country just goes into financial collapse someday, completely, are you going to still be able to say, am I going to still be able to testify that God is my great reward? That I find satisfaction in God alone? That my purpose of life and living is not about the economy, whether it's good or bad, or if I'm going to have a retirement or I'm not going to have a retirement? No, God is our reward. And His presence alone should sustain us. And cause us to seek Him. And when we have Him, we have everything. When we have God, we have everything. Therefore, seek the Lord in His strength. Seek His presence continually. Again, how do we practically and experientially taste and see the Lord? First, seeking. Secondly, waiting. What does it mean to wait on the Lord? Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. We must take heed, my brothers and sisters, this morning. We must take heed that being busy can rob us of the very walk, our very walk in communion with God that provides the kind of depth, strength, and joy needed to sustain us. In today's culture, busyness is what robs us of having communion and enjoying the presence of God. And busyness, again, is going to rob us of the depth, strength, and joy needed to su sustain us. I mean, how are we going to be sustained in and through this life, whether it's in our parenting, in our marriages, going through financial difficulties, trials, temptations, the only way we can be sustained that our lives would glorify God is by communing with God, knowing God, enjoying God, drawing close to God. Do we need to pursue times of silence for our spiritual health? Absolutely yes. We desperately need to pursue times of silence for spiritual health. Jesus, even though there weren't any iPods, iPhones, televisions in His day, 
he still took his disciples aside and said, come away a little while and rest. It was the crowds that provided the pressure in those days, and Jesus set an example for us. What is providing the pressure in your life right now or on a daily basis? It could be work. It could be parenting. It could be in your marriage. Something at some particular time, whether on a weekly basis or a daily basis, is providing pressure, causing you stress, causing you anxiety at times, causing you to be overwhelmed. And what are you doing in the midst of that? Of that? Where are you going? Are you continually just being busy? Jesus always got away. Whether by himself, he'd go seek the Father, or he'd grab his disciples and they would get away. Why? Because they needed to get away to be refreshed and spend time with the Father. Jesus said, I only do what the Father shows me to do. Most likely, he pretty much got what the Father was telling him to do by spending time with the Father. And how are we to only do what the Father shows us to do if we're not spending quiet time before God, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord? And so my encouragement is that could look a lot of different ways for a lot of you. But it has to be something daily, not just once a week. I mean, things could be totally stressful as a mom, and you might need to just step outside and just pray or open a psalm. It could just be some 10-minute plea to God or waiting on God. It could be a set, carved-out time in the morning. But my encouragement isn't that we just set one time to be with God, like 6.30 to 7.30, that's my time with God, and the rest of the day I just kind of do my own thing. No. As we are called to be on mission with God, serving God, we're in continued communion with God and praying. As the Bible says, to pray without ceasing. That just simply means we're going to be giving prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of request, cries for help, maybe. But it's a continual seeking, a continual waiting and one of the reasons we invest our lives in some insignificant ways is that we never become still enough to let the great realities of life hit us. Many of us, if we're not doing it now, we can look behind in our lives and say, man, I wasted my life in so many ways. I invested my life in so many insignificant ways. But the reason we do that is because we have never let the great realities of life hit us. Reality number one, that God is God. He is the one and only living God. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Think about that reality. Reality number two, there's life and there's death and there's eternity. There's heaven and there's hell. Reality number three, that life is but a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. The older you get, the more you realize that life is here today and gone tomorrow. We only have one life to live, and we want to make it count for the glory of God. When's the last time you thought about death? Now it sounds kind of morbid, but when's the last time you just really soberly thought, you know what, someday I'm going to die. I'm going to die, and I'm going to meet Jesus face to face. 
I'm going to die and I'm going to go right into eternity. It's a good thing to think about. It's not only morbid, it's not a suicidal thing. For me, I think about death because when I think about death, it causes me to examine my life. It causes me to recognize I want to be right with God. I don't want to waste my life on trivial pursuits, on insignificant investments. I want my life to count for the glory of God. And I'm going to meet God face to face one day. There's no other way out. We're all going to meet God face to face. And wouldn't you desire to hear from Jesus? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom of joy. That should be our greatest pursuit in life. Our greatest joy. That should really be our greatest goal. Not some stupid retirement plan. And I'm going to go play golf the rest of my life. That's not... You can play golf. But you know what? Your greatest pursuit in life is to hear from Jesus. Your greatest goal in life as a Christian should be to hear from Jesus. Well done, good and faithful servant. We are always on the move, always in a hurry, always distracted. And when we do stop, we finally stop. When we're exhausted at the end of the day, we usually turn on the radio or the TV or pick up our iPhones or whatever, and we get distracted again. You know, I'm exhausted. Get on the couch. Click, 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 click. Oh, my phone's ringing off the hook. I better pick it up. Oh, someone texted me again. I better text them back. I got to give you some really good news about cell phones. Did you know cell phones have voicemail? I don't know if you knew that, but it's really cool. Like, you could actually turn off your phone or not pick it up, and then you just get the voicemail later, like an hour later, a day later, and you actually, like, call people back. <laughs> and it's really important that we actually turn our cell phones off and just seek the Lord. It's really important that we can actually just turn the TV off. It's super cool being in your car, and actually, I'm not going to turn the radio on, I'm just going to be silent before God and commune with God. If you want your life to be significant and experience the joy of knowing God, you've got to stop running, stop being so distracted, and turn off the TV and turn off your cell phones and get alone and be quiet and let the great and awesome and significant and majestic realities of God grip you in moments of quietness before the Lord. The great realities of God, that God is a sovereign God, that God is a holy God, that God is a righteous God, that yet God is a compassionate God, God is a gracious and merciful God. And the only way our lives are going to be gripped by the reality of a living God is if we are quiet before the Lord and we just stop and be still and know that He is God. Thirdly, we taste the Lord by meditating. What does it mean to meditate on the Lord? Meditating and waiting on the Lord go hand in hand, as Charles Spurgeon said in his devotional classic, Morning and Evening. Spurgeon says, 
There are times when solitude is better than company. And silence is wiser than speech. We would be better Christians if we are alone more often, waiting on God and gathering through meditation on His Word, spiritual strength for service in His kingdom. We ought to ponder the things of God because that is how we get the real nutriment out of them. Spurgeon is simply saying we'd be better Christians if we would just stop and be still and ponder and meditate on the Word of God and ponder on the realities of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119.15, I'll meditate on your precepts and I'll contemplate your ways or I'll ponder, I'll ponder on your ways, I'll contemplate, I'll think about your ways, God. For us to wait, ponder, and meditate on the Lord, we must be purposeful in carving out time to be with the Lord. As Pastor Britt said earlier that we're going to have to carve out time to get in the Word of God. We can't be haphazard about it. Can't just have this casual approach about it. We need to carve out time. And that can look differently for all of us. But we have to carve out time. I'm going to get in the Word of God. I'm going to meditate on the Word of God. I'm going to ponder on the Word of God. And the Word of God is going to cause me to worship Him. And I'm going to be refreshed through the Word of God. Or I'm going to be corrected through the Word of God. And I'm going to repent and get right with God. But we must carve out that time. Spurgeon goes on to say, Why is it that some Christians, although they hear many sermons, make only slow advances in the Christian life? Because they neglect their closets and do not thoughtfully meditate on God's Word. They love the wheat, but they do not grind it. They want the corn, but they will not go out into the fields to gather it. The fruit hangs on the tree, but they will not pluck it. The water flows at their feet, but they will not stoop to drink it. Deliver us, O Lord, from such folly. And may, they, may this be our resolve this morning. I will meditate on your precepts. May that be our resolve in 2010. I will meditate on your precepts. I will seek you in the word of God. I will open the Bible. I will carve out time and meditate and respond. The psalmist said in Psalm 1, 1 through 3, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Look at the outcome of this man's life, when he goes to meditate on the Word, he's purposeful, he's meditating on the Word of God, and what happens? He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. We will be refreshed. Daily we'll be refreshed, just like a fruit tree is refreshed by water. Our lives will be refreshed. Our lives will bring forth fruit, the fruit of love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, patience, and self-control for the glory of God, our lo- whose leaf also shall not wither. If we're not in the Word of God, we're not meditating on the Word of God, we're not responding to the Word of God, our lives are going to wither spiritually. They're going to dry up. And whatever He does shall prosper. 
that our lives will prosper. I'm not talking about necessarily like financial prosperity. Our lives will prosper spiritually. We'll have joy. We'll have the peace of God and the fruit of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives to be a blessing to others because we are called to be a blessing to others. God blesses us with his presence and with the fruit of the Spirit so that we could bless others. And in closing, I want to leave you with a godly example of someone from the past that remained steadfast and happy in the Lord all the days of his life in Christ and ministry by simply seeking, waiting, and meditating on the Word of God. And it's quite a long quote, but it really encapsulates what I'm trying to communicate this morning, and I'll bring some application through this quote. And it's from George Mueller. George Mueller is not, is, he's noteworthy for his great faith in the work of his orphanages. In his autobiography, he has a section entitled, How to Be Constantly Happy in the Lord. He complains how for years he used to try to pray early in the morning and found that this, that his mind wandered again and again. Then he made a discovery and he records it like this. And I know many of us, have probably tried to pray, 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 pray and early in the morning and we find our minds wandering like George Mueller. But here's the discovery he made and I want to challenge us in 2010 to make this same application. And I, I, I really believe with all my heart we're going to see our lives change for his glory. He goes on to say this, the point is this, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. Before this time, my practice had been at least for 10 years previously as a habitual thing to give myself to prayer after having dressed in the morning. Now I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the Word of God and to meditation on it, that thus my heart might be comforted, encouraged, warned, reproved, instructed, and that thus, while meditating, my heart might be brought into an experimental communion with the Lord. So you see what's happening? He's just getting in the Word of God. He's praying over the Word of God, and he's allowing the Spirit of God to stir his heart for intercession, for thanksgiving, for repentance, whatever it is, and most importantly, communion with the Lord. He goes on to say, I began, therefore, to meditate on the New Testament from the, be- from the beginning, early in the morning. The first thing I did after having asked, in a few words, the Lord's blessing upon his precious word was to begin to meditate on the Word of God, searching, as it were, into every verse to get blessing out of it, not for the sake of public ministry of the Word, not for the sake of preaching on what I had meditated upon, but for the sake of of obtaining food for my soul. The result I have found to be almost invariably this, that after a very few minutes, my soul has been led to confession or to thanksgiving, or to intercession, or to supplication, so that though I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer, but to meditation, yet it turned out 
almost immediately more or less into prayer, that it just turns into prayer. And he goes on to say, when thus I have been for a while making confession or intercession or supplication or have given thanks, I go on to the next words or verse, turning all as I go on into prayer for myself or others as the word may lead to it but still continually keeping before me that food for my soul as the object of my meditation. The result of this is that there's always a good deal of confession, thanksgiving, supplication, or intercession mingled with my meditation, and that my inner man almost invariably is almost sensibly nourished and strengthened, and that by breakfast time, with rare exceptions, I am in a peaceful, if not a happy state of heart. Amen. I mean, how many of us, by the time we eat breakfast, would we like to be in a peaceful, if not in a happy state of heart? For many of us, we just get up, may read the newspaper, get on the computer, check our emails. We are rushing. And before, more often than not, before we know it, we are stressed out, we are anxious, we're kind of a bummer to people around us, whether our spouse or our kids or our co-workers. And my encouragement to us is let's get in the Word of God, meditate on the Word of God, and come into a peaceful place and happy state of heart in 2010 before we go and leave the house so we could be a blessing and a joy for those that we encounter with. He goes on to say, now that God has taught me this point, it is as plain to me as anything that the first thing the child of God has to do morning by morning is to obtain food for the inner man. As the outward man is not fit for work for any length of time except we take food. And as this is one of the first things we do in the morning, so it should be with the inner man. We should take food for that, as everyone must allow. Now what is the food for the inner man? Not prayer, but the word of God. And here again, not the simple reading of the Word of God, so that it only passes through our minds just as water runs through a pipe. But considering what we read, pondering over it, and applying it to our hearts. Mueller is saying not prayer. He's not saying, I don't pray, or as Pastor Britt encouraged us to come to corporate prayer, whether Tuesday morning or Sunday mornings or Wednesday night for the youth. He's not saying we should be a prayerless people. He's saying through the meditation of God's word, the Spirit of God will cause us to pray and intercede. And lastly, by the blessing of God, I ascribe to this mode the help and strength which I have had to pass in peace through deeper trials in various ways than I've ever had before. And after having now above 40 years tried this way, I can most fully, in the fear of God, commend it. How different when the soul is refreshed and made happy early in the morning from what it is when without spiritual preparation, the service, the trials, and the temptations of the day come upon one. Yes, how different. Because when we step out of that house, or probably before we step out of that house when we have children, man, the day's going to come in like a flood. There's going to be trials. There's going to be temptations. There's going to be opposition. All the more reason we need to be spiritually prepared and prayed up and filled with the Holy Spirit to be a blessing that God has called us to be on mission with throughout the day. 
So how can we taste and see that the Lord is good and have our soul happy in the Lord in 2010? By simply and purposely drawing near to God through seeking, waiting, and meditating on Jesus continually. In 2010, let's be a people that simply and purposely draw near to God through seeking, waiting, and meditating on Jesus continually. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we just declare this morning how good you are. That Jesus, you are the good shepherd. You are a good God. And we thank you for your mercy and for your grace and your love. We thank you for calling, out, calling us out of darkness and bringing us into your glorious light that we might enjoy you, that we might find joy and pleasures at your right hand. And God, I pray through the working of the Holy Spirit this morning that you would cause us to seek you, to wait upon you, to meditate on your word this coming year, that our lives would bear much fruit for your glory and for the blessing of others. And God, my prayer for myself and my brothers and sisters, I pray we would really begin to understand the joy of God, that we begin to really experience what it means to enjoy God, to simply enjoy Jesus in 2010. And so, Holy Spirit, cause my brothers and sisters to respond this morning to the Word of God through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. May no one harden their hearts. And so, God, help your people now to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.